0: So what is this about um, missing missing teeth in a dream? What does that mean? Mm, I
1: don't know if this is true, but I heard I heard if you're missing teeth in a, in a dream or the broken teeth, um, it, it's probably a sex thing. Have you, you never had that at all?
0: A sex thing or a broken teeth in a dream?
1: Well, I mean, you know, strictly speaking, the 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 broken teeth part. Have you ever had that? No. Okay. What about flying? You Ever fly in a dream?
0: Only once. Once ever? Yeah. And it oh. wasn't flying. It wasn't flying like you see in the movies, like Superman. It was sort of a, a somehow the shoes that I had on were sort of rocket powered. So it wasn't it wasn't a controlled flight, really. Did, were you wearing two shoes? Mm, one on each foot.
1: Okay, that that means your teeth are going to break probably probably in the next three or four days. <laughs> okay. Well I, which, about, which, well, I was about was about ten which,
0: when I had the dream. So.
1: Oh, okay. You were ten, <laughs> but you did have two shoes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I I really can't say what that means on the air.
0: All right, we'll, t- we'll do that offline. <laughs> so for, we, we, we've got to start this out just by, just by addressing what, what has taken place here. The Are you phen- firing me? Are you phen- firing me already? No, the phenomenon that God. is back to work with Merlin Mann.
1: you want to put the thing in about how this is going to make me uncomfortable? Is that No, no, thing?
0: no. I learned my lesson. Okay. Can, I can only handle so much browbeating.
1: Let's keep this short, though.
0: Yeah, one hour.
1: No, no. I mean the the, the complementing ourselves part. Like it's really oh, important. Yeah.
0: Well, it should be. A, it could be a thing. But no, I mean this is we have become a sensation. The show <laughs> has been. A no, I shouldn't say we. I should really. I mean, if you actually look, like uh-huh. I, when I when I record this thing, it's in it's in Logic, so I can see who does most of the talking, and rightfully so. It's it's you, and you had so many so many great things to say, and people keep keep tweeting about it. The show has been successful because of the listeners. So thanks to everybody for tuning in and making this show uh, so successful. And, and we really, our goal here, I think Merlin's goal, is to impart some of this knowledge. It's encapsulated in your brain. But you know how they have this thing in, in the iPod and the iPhone that lets you play stuff at, at twice the speed?
1: Yeah, I've done I've done that, yeah.
0: I, I don't like that. But for this show, I think people were saying they want it in to be able to play it at half speed.
1: You can do that. You can play half speed. Can you? We're going to need yeah. to slow this down. Yeah, it sounds like I'm in... Uh, drinking cough medicine, but not a lot of cough medicine. Like Just like a tablespoon of cough medicine.
0: Do you drink a lot of caffeine before the show?
1: Uh, no. See, we should record this at a different time. This is, this is not long after I've taken my ADD medicine. So, you know, I might... Th- the thing for me is like, I'll answer one email a day, but, but it'll be like freaking war and peace because I get really passionate <laughs> about it. Or, or I go to the barista and, and I talk to her about Joy Division for 45 minutes and then she like <laughs> has to like hit a button and, and have me removed,
0: you know? Yeah.
1: So... Yeah.
0: So here we are, episode number two, and we've got we've got a little a little bit more of an idea of what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Or you do.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we don't want to we don't want to you know crush the bunny, but
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have anything for this
1: for this part. I I got a couple of uh,
0: applications. <laughs> I gotta right I gotta make a list of these these Doctor Philisms. The
1: well, which one was that? What did I say? What did I say?
0: Crush the bunny? Oh come on, that's prior
1: art. You've heard that.
0: I'm ne- I'm I'm writing. I'm going to try and keep track of them. We'll keep a can list. Can
1: I going. ask you a question?
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so have you ever dreamed of literally crushing a bunny? No. Okay.
1: Well, okay. That, that actually, it's really
0: significant. Why, why are you on this dream thing? Why are you not? No, Well, I mean, what does it mean? What? what tell me about it.
1: I'm just saying there's a pretty rich history, whether we're talking about our, our Native American friends or, or you know, Freud. Uh, I think it's really important to talk about your dreams.
0: Do you, and, you know, so, so
1: do you dream a lot or you just... Not not too much. I, I don't dream like I used to. When I was a kid, I'd have lots of dreams. Yeah, but not so much now.
0: Well, I don't know. I've heard that you're still dreaming, and you just don't remember them. But I, if you're talking about the ones I remember, mm-hmm. once every week, maybe I remember one.
1: I get that with drinking, where um, I don't remember it, but I apparently did stuff. That's kind of you know. There's a, there's a, a biography by the uh, drummer from uh, Deep Purple. I think his name's uh, his name? Ian Pace. Yeah, and it's great because because. Uh, the uh, the adverb apparently uh, begins a lot of his sentences and uh, in, in my band that became like uh, we actually had a cassette called apparently and uh, to me like any sentence that begins with apparently is not going to end well yeah you know, and I think the specific line I'm thinking of apparently at some point I set the bellhop's coat on fire and because apparently I, you know if you, you wouldn't have to say apparently <laughs> if you remembered right. it but you know, you know and apparently I danced pantsless on a table you know so <laughs> Anyway, I, I don't dream like I used to. What do, what do you want to do this week? What should we do?
0: I think we're just, we've started out good. We just keep going with the dream thing.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I mean, we, we, we kind of thought, we kind of talked about, we had a little post-mortem and then a little triage Yeah, about yeah. the last show. And I think what we identified is that it kind of felt like there were taking shape out of that. There were maybe... I don't want to use, use a strong of a word as a segments to the show, but maybe, maybe the, there's something taking shape there that, that it makes sense to kind of organize the show in a thoughtful way.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I would call it, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a mathematician, but I would call it an arc. You got arcs, you got arcs, you got acts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we talked about this. I mean, we don't need to over talk about this. You know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something, Dan Benjamin. I got a note, I got a note from, uh, first of all, uh, our 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 bearded friend, uh, the, the the mountain man uh, of of New England, has agreed to be on the show, uh-huh. and uh, but he sent he sent me a very a very sweet note that he listened to it, but he had one extremely specific note that it was very important that that I we really keep the show to an hour. He insisted that we keep the show to an hour.
0: No, I think that's great. I think that's great. I'm saying I'm
1: saying you're right. I'm saying you're right. I'm saying like you know, shut me down. Give me some kind of he, can we have like a signal
0: or something? I will ring a bell. When when uh, you don't do you watch fo- football? Do you watch sports? Um, I'm familiar uh, with the fact that people watch football. Okay. Yeah. So, at, 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 in in football, well, there's two minute warning. A, two minute yeah, warning. Two minute warning. So I'm thinking that w- you may need more than two minutes. So maybe we do a five minute warning, and at at five minutes before the end, I will ring my bell. And this isn't just any bell that I'm going to be ringing. This is my uh, my uh, I don't know what scale it is, but is a replica of the Liberty Bell, which hmm. I purchased when I lived in Philadelphia and have had most of my life. I can't She's remember that, even... Is State Street? State Street, is that where you buy that stuff? I think so. I was yeah. a kid. And yeah. uh, and I will ring that bell when we're down to, to five minutes. Let me get
1: okay. it. I'll grab it. Okay. Uh, Dan is uh, stepping away from the microphone. He's going to get his bell. Here we go. Uh, I've I, got the bell. Dan, do you want to hear it? Should
0: we do a practice?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. By all means. Okay, so anyway... I, oh. Try it again. Try it again. You ready? Ready? Yeah. Hey, wait. Stop. Let's let's do a real trial. Hang oh,
0: okay. Again. You're gonna be saying something, and then I'll ring it. All right. All
1: right. So anyway, I have this application. I try, and it's really cool. Cause I'm, and then when I do that, you know, But seriously, it's really.
0: Does that work? Ooh. Is it too obnoxious?
1: No, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do right. it. Um, okay. So you know what might be like a interesting. Uh, we haven't talked about this, but I want to say interesting. I mean, not interesting. But uh, in terms of, the, have you been following what kids say on the Twitter and what they want to hear? Have you gotten any sense of, of how you want to. I mean, apart from all these compliments you've been collecting, like you know Judy Garland running around with a basket, is there any is there anything <laughs> functional that you can take away that's not just simply you know compliments?
0: Well, I yeah, I think I think what people are, are really looking forward to, and, and I'm you know correct me if I'm wrong, if you got a different impression, but I, I really think people like uh, like the tangents that, that you go down and people are very, very interested in hearing this. I mean, you're out there, you're out there all, all all the time. You're going to these places. You're, you're imparting us wisdom and people bring you in to do these big talks where you wear really big hats Mm -hmm. and people want a piece of that because they're most, most companies can't get you to, to come in there and and talk for a day. And most companies can't. Very costly. Well, it's not just that, but it's, it's, it's that how are you, most people out there who are listening to this, they don't, the majority of people don't work for forward-thinking companies. The majority of the people aren't, yeah, cool in, in cool companies. That's actually that's you know actually what
1: I'm no, totally. And I mean, and, I, and I, as I listened back to our program, I, I don't think I listened to it more than like like probably thirty thirty times. Uh, but <laughs> I I caught I caught that I, I actually never answered your question about what I talk about on those talks. Yeah, what do happy. you
0: do out there? Yeah,
1: well, it's it's evolved. I mean, is this is this even potentially interesting to talk about? Yeah,
0: those d- those d- this talks? is it.
1: Okay, well. Uh, it's it's evolved uh, in a in, I think a, a kind of an interesting way from well this this all the entire interest in having me come and talk somewhere by a very small number of people I really started with I did this talk at Google in two thousand five um, about the inbox zero email stuff and um, what people may know or may not is that it, the Google folks put it on on uh, YouTube but I, primarily on Google Video. And um, for reasons that are, are beyond my reckoning, a, a lot of people saw it, which is cool. I'm not sandbagging. Like, I was like, what? You know, at and, and one point, last time I saw it, when they were still showing what those numbers were, I think it was like 300,000 people or something, which is, or, line put it differently. 300,000 times, somebody like fell on a button and made it start. I'm just saying they watched <laughs> the whole thing. But <laughs> the funny part that, that you may not know is like, that's the first talk I ever did. I, my hand to God. It's the first talk I ever did where I didn't walk away going, oh my God, that's the worst thing I've ever done. Really? <laughs> it was the first one where I was like, I like the slides, I like the talk. But to your point specifically, um, I, I love this point personally. I mean, I haven't talked about this a lot, but I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing really, but I knew what I believed worked and I tried not to say too many things that I, that I didn't completely understand. I've done more of that over the years, but what's weird is the more I gave that talk, this is totally true um and mostly it started out mostly being kind of silicon valley at my friends companies or wherever i go to adaptive path and you know they were kind enough to bring me back and like talk to you know 10 15 20 people there or like you know the ruby red guys would come and hang out and um the more i gave the talk the more i learned how much of it was bs and not not bs in the strictest sense not like a hammett kind of bs but the kind of like well that's that's a really interesting point in the abstract that in my experience does not shake out in reality. And I, I go, well, you know, tell me more. Like, I want this to be good. And people did that, right? I mean, the canonical example being, you know, well, just one slight derail, which is that, I, I you know, yeah, I know I kind of seem like a jerk. Sorry, <laughs> I do. But I really believe there's not a lot of point in overly equivocating on what you consider to be an important point. Uh, whether it's about, whether it's politics or whether it's your faith or whatever it is, I don't think there's any point in over-bracketing the one thing that you care a lot about. You can you can try and shave the edges off when you think you need to, but in order to say anything that means anything, you have to take out the modifiers to the extent possible. So I, I, I've always known that. I mean, that's good writing. That's good everything. You either say it or you don't. Um, and so I would say very, very you know, I would go in there and say, hey, you guys suck. You're not acting like adults. What's wrong with you? Turn off your email, jerk. <laughs> turn off notifications. Don't do this. Check it once a day. Blah, blah, blah. blah. <laughs> and then in questions and answers, I would get my butt handed to me
0: by reality. Right? You following me
1: on this? Does this make sense?
0: Yeah. But yeah, because so the, we'll rea- examples, the examples. reality is people have to do email. They can't turn it off, right?
1: Yeah. This is and this is where it gets potentially interesting, which is that it went from being something where I said, okay, this has worked for me, and I've seen it work for other people. And what I didn't highlight enough because I didn't know enough was, well, this is a very tactical component of a much more comprehensive uh to me, a way of seeing your work and your life in a different way. It doesn't mean you gotta go out and like, you know, yeah, whatever, buy a cushion and sit around and, you know, think about the void or anything. It just means that that to me I think my work got a little bit more nuanced and a little more useful when it went from being go do this thing jerk into like, well, this is work for me and here's why, right? That's kind of the thrust of what we want to do here. In some ways, I think, is, is not to say go use Emacs or like go buy this app, um, but more a way of saying like, here's who this might be good for. So, but a specific example, and this came up more than once, um, you know, an extreme example would be, you know, the question and answer, question and answer, which, you know, let's be honest, question and answer almost always sucks. Question and answer is like a party no one's planned for. You go, hey, let's have a party. But like, you know, nobody bought ice, you know, nobody ever plans for question and answer. And so it's usually, it's just this really dumb thing where one person stands up to try and say something, you know, to seem smart. And then a lot of really smart people sit there and go, I, I don't want to stand up and participate in this. But occasionally people would go, um, yeah, so, um. Yeah, thanks thanks for coming out. That was uh super interesting. Thank you that uh so um my husband has I I think it's called pancreatic cancer and he's going to die pretty soon and stuff. So uh, you know, I I would love it if he could die with dignity and so, you know, if I d- I guess I guess I'm not being an adult because uh, you know I, if I were really an adult I wouldn't check my email and then I get fired and we lose our health insurance and I could be an adult at home as my husband died in what's been described to me as excruciating pain so so did someone, I just, did someone actually say that is that real that is an extremely melodramatic version of a case that I have gotten several times I'll tell you what I have gotten is like single mom like you know let's be honest lady at the desk who kind of runs the place right I mean and I was like I it's like and then I or right here like that's a great talk I love your stuff ba 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 I just got hired after 2 years of looking for a job I got hired at this sales position 2 weeks ago and I haven't made a sale yet because all these other guys sit in email all day and you know like versions of that there's all these different things the the um this is a slight derail but like that, that interview with Chris Weatherall at Google that I did for the Merlin show you know he describes I'm paraphrasing, but what he said something like, you know, one reason people check email all day long is, well, it's your job to stand on top of that and fix stuff fast. The the fact that there's not an underlying system for that, like, I guess they've got bug trackers and stuff, but the idea of like somebody sitting there and like waiting for bugs all day seems crazy to me. Like, who can be helpful fastest is kind of a, you know, it's, it's a metric. But I mean, there's a functional reason that people do this. The big pattern for me is, I don't, I'm not great at this, and I don't always do this, but seriously, that, back to that everybody has their reasons thing, people don't do stuff because they're stupid. Seriously. nobody. Very few people, I mean, this is maybe the canonical cognitive bias, is this notion that other people are stupid and mean, and I have my reasons. That's maybe the canonical cognitive bias. And I think that happens in so many companies and with so many visiting speakers who are douchebags from the internet you know, you come in and you want to make your one point because that's the, you know, kind of the bullets for your book or whatever. Or in my case, that's like the what I knew part that I'd seen succeed. And you lose a lot of subtlety when you adopt this prescriptive approach of saying go do this and something, something, wonderful things happen. But in, in terms of how that actually affected the way I would do these talks, well, I would go into a place and generally the folks who were kind enough to bring me in, it was frequently a nerd. Like you know what I mean? You know what I mean that as a compliment, right? And it's a giant compliment. Like, yeah, I, I love, mean we we like love nerds. nerds. We yeah, like, we mean, are nerds. I, I consider our audience the nerds. The capital, nerds, capital, capital yeah, the, T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definite, definite article. And um, but they would bubble that up to somebody who had a little dough or no dough, and I would go, "You're awesome! I'm going to come or whatever." And I would go in there and like usually that is somebody the person who makes a buying decision on that, it's hopefully not the HR person, is somebody who's trying to affect a change with a really great heart. And like, you know, 80% of the time, it's somebody who's going, I've seen this work in other places. I've seen this work on my team, right? And I wish that everybody would either, A, adopt my system, or B, figure out what their system should be, right? There, there's all these things though inside of groups in my observation that discourage that kind of collaboration, whether it's Microsoft force ranking people on a team, you know, or or you know, or or having a culture in which one business unit is kind of tacitly expected not to talk to each o- each other in reality, they say they're supposed to, but you know, maybe your boss doesn't want you talking to somebody that he used to work for over there. Maybe maybe they're like, "What do you you know? We got enough on our plate. Don't cause trouble." I mean, it, it varies a lot, but the the thread through all of it, and the part that I think I hope helped me improve my thinking and the ability to help people was going, um, well, I, I don't know all of this. I know my part of this, but going out and talking to people and like really when I say talking to people, I mean, no, I mean like sitting at the cafeteria afterward is where I would go like, okay, here's the real story. And and the real story is that truly people do have their reasons. They have their reasons in the sense of, you know what? I this company says all of this stuff and my boss says all of this stuff or they don't say all of this stuff and there's the elephant in the room at a lot of places is again what you could call culture this invisible thing that nobody needs to really talk about and and so whether it's a manager or whether it's uh, you know a staff member at some level they understand this subtlety they understand that they can't just turn off email, but they also understand the really perplexing part is the, uh, the collision of demands that can never really be resolved. Do you know what I mean? I think that's what makes this stuff hard is you really want to do a good job and you really want to ship this thing, but you know it's like academics, right? If you do this thing without talking to all these other people, you're going to be perceived as being uncollegial and maybe more than anything else, you become risk averse. Because there's not that much reward to sticking your head up. And I think that is demonstrated. I tell me what you think of this. You've worked in places. My, my feeling is like most managers tend to think it results from a lack of reward. And my sense is it comes from a uh, an excess of risk aversion. You know, like, you know, would you ever want to do something where you just get more work added to your plate without really being acknowledged, you know what I mean? Do you really want to go complicate that? Because companies that say they're really into innovation and they say they're really into defining your job and they say they're really into like all of this stuff, well, if the record in the history does not demonstrate that that gets rewarded on a programmatic like cultural basis, nobody's going to do that. People aren't stupid you know so i mean uh, google five years ago you really could come up with a new thing like like veen said in that interview you really could come up with a new thing and if you were if it was really cool people would join you and it would ship i don't know if that happens today probably not as much but that's my feeling and so so how did this start what, what has happened with me with this stuff well i've gotten to a point now where yeah i go in and do a, do a talk but it's what i think it's what hitchcock would call a macguffin i i describe it as the thing you put on the invoice um and I'm not saying this to sell my services. Don't hire me. You can't afford it, and you'll hate spending the money, and you'll hate me for being there. But if, if, when someone does do that, I, I call it a consultative talk, and which is like going for a day or a day and a half, and hopefully talk to as many people as possible about what they perceive as the barriers. And like I said last time, sometimes those barriers are very much those people with a good heart who brought me in, and that's that's super complicated. But uh, you know, there's something I've said before that is my my goal in everything I do with work internally, you know, in terms of relationships, is to always assume that everybody's smarter than me and cares more than me. And I fall short of that 90% of the time. But I think last week we talked about what can't you ship, what can't you ship. I think the analog to that or the corollary is um, what if everybody you worked with was smarter than you and cared more than you? What decisions would you, especially as, ma- as a manager, what would you do differently? You know, could, could you handle the Michael Lopp level of I'm just going to get out of the way and run interference so you can do your job? Most managers are not comfortable with that and they have their reasons. So uh, that's long, but I, I, you know, I'm curious, Dan, you've had jobs. You said, you mentioned before I cut you off last time that you've been a CEO. You've been in lots of places. What's, what is your take on what makes places good? um, regardless of the visiting speaker, I mean, what, what patterns do you see that that work and don't work inside groups?
0: You know, I think that's a great question, but, I don't know if I've ever had the privilege of working at a at a place that I thought was like really really great. Now that doesn't mean I haven't worked with some good people because I, right. I have. But it it seems like even in a small place, even in a company where it's like a small startup, and you know, I, I'm even going back to to the early '90s when I was in small companies that we didn't really call startups, but they were you know to to being a CTO at a San Francisco startup that really was a startup you know a number of years ago i don't know it seems like it seems like the bad habits and the bad things creep into into even the smaller companies yeah
1: i mean this might be a cliche i don't have enough experience with this to say firsthand whether it's true but the sense that i get from my friends who have had successful startups um, there's a number of things that make it work well. There are patterns that work. I mean, like again, to quote Veen, who's kind of a hero of mine. Don't tell him. Um, you know, Veen's Veen, like Veen said in that, in that you're interview, you're talking about like,
0: Jeff Jeffrey Veen, sorry, founder uh, of many things, including I'm sorry, Type the it
1: and I, and I should say Veen one, Veen two, like because Greg Veen's a brainiac too. I don't want to say there's only one Veen, right. Um, but that first of all that notion of removing friction in things like communication in a secondary way I think that's that's huge but you know I think if there's one thing at the center of a startup well one and a half things one of the things at the center of a startup is a really huge amount of focus on doing one thing generally I mean you might have multiple things but you're so constrained in so many ways at a startup number one constraint being you probably don't have a lot of dough but the other constraint is that everybody there knows there's a, there's a clock ticking. You could think of that as a money thing, because sure, money might run out. But the other thing is, like, you don't—you may not know when you when your opportunity has come until it's gone. You've got to be watching all kinds of stuff. A really smart startup will even be ready to throw out the thing they thought was the startup to go do another thing. I mean, the Twitter story has been told so many times, but you think about Ev and Odeo. I mean. Ev had spent a lot of money and time and resources to build a podcast directory and all it took is one announcement from this company called Apple for his business to go away.
0: Right. So let let's let's let me let me pause you for one second and, and yes. detail this because this was this was a very big deal when this happened, especially for me because I was already doing a podcast or two and, and really I was,
1: I was heavily invested. You, yeah, you no, were, yeah, you were you yeah, were
0: big much. into it. So this this for you now were you at the WWDC when that was announced? No, no. I, I was there. Oh, really? It's the only WWDC that I've ever been to when they announced support for podcasting in iTunes. Because before that, you could go and download your podcasts. And it's sh- very exotic. I mean, yeah. it's, so,
1: it's, 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 it's not very long ago, but I mean, do you remember, Dan? It was it was weird. Like, you had to go to these weird sites, and it was still a very Dave Weiner kind of thing. Yes. To use RSS, or, you know, X, sorry, to use XML as a way to, to move audio files around, I mean... It was it was not that long after a lot of arguments about what this should be for, you know, am I right? Like like what, what, what the standard should support.
0: It, yeah, it was still it was, it was
1: still really shaking out and people it was very exotic and you had to do a lot of, you know, heavy lifting on your own to get a podcast from here to there.
0: Right. And and that's why, you know, if you had a few hundred downloads for your podcast, that was you were big time. You know, you were really big time. And I, iTunes came out and said, "Guess what? We you can now download podcasts and not only that but we have this this thing that allows you to submit your podcasts and people can just go there and click subscribe and there they are now it wasn't anywhere near as as elegant as it is today and it really is a nice uh, well, I, th-
1: I think you're also leaving out if i may i think you're also leaving out the, the so the so obvious thing that it's easy to leave out which is All you had to do was plug in your iPod, and stuff showed up. Yes, who's going to compete with that? That that vertical integration that Apple provides—that Catholic experience that we idiots love—is, I mean, how could Odeo do that? They were they were focusing on making like a flash recording app, you know, (laughs) which is not inexpensive to make, right? And so, but I mean, how can at that point it's like that glancing blow that Google could do? I call it the Labor Day weekend problem. Like, could your could your product? be replaced by Google by a couple ambitious people over Labor Day weekend because you really need to think about that Yeah, and in that instance anyway I'll let you finish the story but you know I've had a lot of skin in the game with that
0: well audio so uh, Evan Williams who's the founder is it co-founder founder founder of Twitter Uh, well he had been he basically
1: started he started Blogger in I think 1998 or so and sold it to Google and most I think almost all of his team if not all uh, his main team went to Google and He left after a while to start this, uh, I think at the time it was just called Odeo. Later it became obvious when it was um, name when it was kind of an umbrella. But yeah, it was a big idea. It was a really cool idea. It was was a great idea. Yeah, yeah.
0: Like how do you you organize all of these podcasts? How do you put them in one place and make it easy for people to browse and find them and coordinate them? And it's really... It's it's if you could imagine almost a an early web based version of iTunes before there was an iTunes. That's that's what Odeo was an early
1: an early kind of proto. I don't know how early. I I don't want to be say this incorrectly. But also they had they did some pretty neat Ajaxy stuff before that was when like (laughs) when the Panic site was the only site that did stuff like that. They made it pretty easy to upload and manage, and it was just really cool. And it was an all in one solution that like nothing else was that I was aware of at the time. And it looked good. It was really pretty. But in that one announcement. I mean, I don't know the ex- precise history of this. I'm probably leaving out a lot of details. But, but basically, you know, it's like, okay, well, now what? You know, and I don't think it was too, too long that they, I think they kept with it for a while, but they, you know, eventually they sold it to these really creepy guys who totally screwed it up, messed up all my podcasts. And stop, and wouldn't let, you delete the, wouldn't let you delete the porn spam from
0: your own site. Oh, mm. God, that was, that was a wreck. Well, it did, it was not, however long it was, it seemed like it was more like days
1: Let's just stipulate all those links. Links died. Thank you very much, people who bought Odeo. <laughs> there's no way. There's no. There's nothing there anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's like a like a Western town in a in an old film. Like there's <laughs> the front of a building. I think the site might be made out of like paper mache and, and JavaScript or something. But but what do they do? I mean, a nut uh, we shouldn't drag this out. But well, well it's an interesting I mean, topic. I think it's super interesting because what this guy did was well, first of all, not to kiss his ass, but you know. Um, Ev, I think, to my understanding, first of all, he like repaid all of his investors, like out of his pocket, which is insane and awesome. And then basically, this guy, Jack, I think this is a true story. I think this is not one of those, we wanted to just sell Pez dispensers kind of stories. It's true. Like, Jack had this doodle and was like, here's this idea for how you could update people using SMS. And long story short, that became this site that now everybody's sick of hearing about. And it's a fantastic site called Twitter that everybody. Not everybody, that lots of people use. Everybody wants you to follow them so they can announce what the special of the day is and seven new tips on SEO, which is awesome. But the, the platform is pretty fantastic and it all started in abject failure. It started with we're gonna lose our shirts. And just to last week's point, you know, it takes a crap ton of courage to not go, oh my God, I'm gonna die alone watching cable with poop in my pants, to like I'm gonna go have the courageousness to keep running and do this thing. And I, I think that is in the true sense of the word inspiring because that's again what separates the stuff that gets made from the stuff that doesn't. If Ev just gave up and like just sat, sat in his, um you know, sat in, sat in his, uh, you know, Wayne Mansion and yeah, like right. and just rooted, you know, but he didn't. So, I don't know, I guess, but, but just to finish the, the the major arc, I, I just, I think that, uh, I, 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 I hate this. I'm oh, sorry, it's like a, jerk, but I, I grew a lot from going and talking to people and getting set straight. And that is what brought me to what has become, to me, one of the most significant things. So we hinted at last week. Um this is gonna sound so generic as to be useless, but I, I've come to really believe that yeah, there's tons of tactical stuff you can do. It's so important. Um and there's tons of like connective tissue between the tactical stuff and and you know the way you think about things. There's ways you deal with your team. But at the heart of it, as we went into much detail on last week, it really, you are the one who's going to have to do all of this stuff. And if you don't have a, a sensible, realistic, philosophical underpinning to why you're doing this stuff, if you don't understand your world, this, these tips and tricks are just going to waste your time. It's a total waste of time. And that's why, I, as, I, as I said, I'd love to talk about this more in future episodes because it's so important to me. You really have to learn to solve the right problem at the right level for the right reasons. And if you're having trouble with any of the classic procrastination, this, that, not getting progress, pushback from anybody, it really, really helps from a practical standpoint to ask yourself if you are solving the right problem at the right level for the right reasons. A specific example would be anything related to email. Um, Yes, email. Gosh, sure. I think we can all agree that email can be really problematic. But what is the problem you're trying to solve? Well, first of all, the problem is not email. Like If you've got an IMAP server that works, you don't really have a problem with email. If you're getting your email, <laughs> I'm not trying to do a Groucho Marx bit, but seriously, your email is fine. For most of us, the <laughs> problem is a disconnect between reality and expectations. Whether that's our expectations of others, others of ourselves, or, or often it's not our expectations of ourselves. Like, I'm a nice guy. I answer all my email in my head. And so this email that's been sitting here in my <laughs> inbox for two years because I'm a nice guy, is, uh, you know, I'll get to that. Like, like, there'll be a day when I wake up and suddenly a two-year-old email, I'm going to be all, yeah, thanks, or whatever. You know, and the person who was waiting for your response has no idea how nice you are because you never wrote back. And yet, that's kind of on your mind, right? So, so at, at that point, I'm, you got to say to yourself, well, oh, I'm having problems with email. Well, what you're having problems with is making decisions. And what you're having problems with is understanding the nature of scarcity. Say you want to change everything at work. You're like, uh, leave a sign by the coffee maker guy. Well, you know, are you really going to change everybody? Because I think that's out of scope. You have to say to yourself, you know, whether you're a manager or, a, a, you know, one of us pros or whatever, you know, if you don't have the scope and the interest and the buy-in, if you like, to change a giant thing, you're an idiot for trying to change it. You know, I, I, I'm hard on HR sometimes. They have a hard job. And I don't mean to be hard on HR, but HR like buys everything at scale, Right. They're never going to go in and like worry about how I can fix this one person. <laughs> They're going to buy these solutions to problems that are so broad that it's amazing that it would ever work for any one person. And the same is true on Teams. When you try and solve all these problems. you know, Again, back to, back to the sign by the coffee maker. A phenomenon that I am really aware of is that whenever you talk in the, in the abstract, in the generic, to a large group of people, it doesn't matter how big the group of people is, every single person thinks you're talking to them. When you talk on the internet, when you put up a sign, every single person thinks you're talking to them, except for you, because you're special and smart. Now, see, people are going to be mad (laughs) because they thought I was talking to them, right? And here's the problem. Um, So you go and you yell and you say, don't burn popcorn. And it's like, what's going to (laughs) happen? Well, like, okay, so that's your solution to this problem. Well, okay, first of all, you know, Everybody who doesn't burn popcorn is going to see that and go, hey, I don't burn popcorn. Why are you yelling at me? Right? There's going to be other people who are are just like passing through the office and they're going to go, God, what an idiot. What a dumb sign. And you know what? The guy who burns popcorn is going to keep burning popcorn. You didn't go in and talk to the one guy who burns popcorn. You put up some sign just because that made you feel better from an emotional standpoint. You didn't think about the problem and the level and the reason. And that happens so often that I would call it an anti-pattern. Hey everybody, this is Merlin Mann, and you're listening to Back to Work, hosted by me and your internet pal, Dan Benjamin, brought to you on time and on budget every Tuesday, right here and only here on the mighty 5x5 network. This episode of Back to Work is brought to you by our very good friends at the Omni Group. Since 1989, Omni Group's been making smart software for extremely good-looking people to make award-winning applications for OS X, iPad, and iPhone, including amazing stuff like OmniOutliner, OmniGraph, OmniPlan and a fantastic productivity app that I had an extremely minor role in designing called OmniFocus. I use and love that app a lot. If your plans for this week include a visit to Macworld, please stop by the OmniGroup booth and say hi. I'll be hanging around the booth on Friday and Saturday. That's January 28th and 29th. And I'll be doing some live demos of my favorite OmniFocus tricks, so you nerds should come. You can learn more about these and all other things Omni on their website, which is conveniently located at Omnigroup.com. Many thanks to our pals at the Omni Group for making cool stuff and for supporting Back to Work and 5x5. Dan and I both really like you guys a lot. Finally, you can always drop by 5 by 5tv anytime to learn more about Back to Work, as well as all of the other great shows on 5x5. And if you have a spare hour to kill, why not stop by and join us for the live taping of Back to Work every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, right here at 5x5.tv. It's pretty cool. I mean, you, you can listen to us record it, and there's a, you know, a chat room and stuff, and uh, it's not technically work in the strictest sense of the word, but you know, it's it's pretty fun. So you know, um, let's get back to work.
0: All right, let me interrupt you here. You you're using yes. a term, yes, that you say solving the right problem. We got that. What do you mean when you say at the right level?
1: Yeah. Um, let's, let's think about some, whatever some kind of a, a, a big think of, a, think of a, a big-ish problem what you perceive as a big-ish problem okay how about this um, is it fair to say that in a lot of companies there is a lot of this is a trick question there's a lot of rhetoric about innovation isn't that kind of fair to say yes. like everywhere you go everybody wants to innovate you got to yeah. innovate I mean to the point where it becomes like background noise you hear so much about innovation Especially oh, well, I mean, understandably like a C level wants you to innovate. Go innovate, 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 innovate. But then you also hear it, you know, at the kind of the the VP level, and you certainly hear it at a director level. And because it makes you sound important, you hear it at just a straight up manager level. I don't know that many coding engineers who talk about innovation. Cause you know, I mean I've got you know I've got a pretty nice keyboard, right? Yeah. Like I, I don't have an innovation button. Like I've checked. <laughs> it's a it's nice. I've got number lock, I've got page down. I don't have innovation on here. Um, that's a noun, right? And, and the people that I admire, uh, live in a world of verbs and innovation has almost nothing to do with the verbs in their life. Innovation like history is something you can really only recognize in retrospect, but in order to innovate, history has shown you're going to have to tolerate a huge amount of both chaos and what some people regard as failure. All right, just to set the context for this. Okay, so regardless of whatever level you're at in the company, you start crowing about innovation you see That I don't have positive feelings about people who do this. But if everything you do suggests that people are not allowed to fail and they aren't allowed to take stuff off their plate and you've never hired any, you've never um, promoted anybody who didn't innovate successfully and you primarily do promote the people who are super conservative ship on time, 90% of the time, but don't do anything interesting. Well, then what do you expect? You know, then that starts to affect the hiring because now those managers are going to have a role in who they bring in. They're not going to bring in some cowboy maverick innovator. They're going to bring somebody in who works in alignment with how their team is, which is totally sane. But you see where I'm going with this to just say by fiat, Hey, everybody go innovate. is just about the stupidest thing in the world. It is so stupid. And again, this is, let's just clarify, I do not get rehired ever because I say things like this. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay, let me get this straight. So it's really important to you and your company to innovate. Oh, really? Okay. Um, God, you guys have super nice vertical blinds here. When the guy comes in to dust those, um, should he innovate? ah, rhubarb, rhubarb, of course not. <laughs> okay, well, I'm just checking, I'm just checking because you said everybody should innovate. But like, uh, like uh, the lady who answers the phones, should she be like, should she or guy, but usually it's a lady, you know, the one who runs the office <laughs> and you should never piss off. Like when, they, when, when she answers the phones, how should she innovate with that? Oh, come on, Merlin, don't be that guy. I'm sorry, okay. What about, what about the people who cut your checks or do you direct deposit? How much do you want them to innovate? Okay, we get it. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't, because A, you don't really want everybody to innovate. And B, when you say innovate, you don't really understand what that means. You just use that word because you saw it in an in-flight magazine because you're a C1A hole. Like, no. <laughs> in order to innovate, you're going to have to, first of all, provide a context where everybody on your team that matters to you, understands what that means and what the rules are for doing that. Right? and And then, but the really, really, really hard part, and this is what being a grown-up leader is, you have to then inside of your company, inside your team, inside your BU, whatever. You're going to have to do stuff that shows you're not going to get put into the <laughs> as they say on the Simpsons, get moved to the brown reading group <laughs> because because you screwed up once. Right. And and so what's the what does that mean in, in regard to your question? The problem that you want is to be pushing out new product and, and, and like we said on, in previous talks, innovation doesn't mean catching up. It means being in front of somebody in a way that makes it really hard to catch up. It means making some kind of a connection nobody else has or can, pre- hopefully can do. Like you want to you do something nobody else can. That's innovation. Innovation is having a lot of crappy light bulbs and then finally having one that worked and nobody else knows how to do that. But then that's the problem. But okay, so then you try to solve it at the right level. Is the right level putting out a memo that says we believe in innovation is the right level for that um, do a, doing a ropes course with all of your directors called Innovate 2011 is the right, I'm being sarcastic, but like to me, I don't know how to solve that problem, it's why I don't have a job and stuff, but to me like the way you solve that is you get a bunch of people in a room really like tactical manager and director level people and you say, hey look um, what's stopping people from doing this? And you better be honest or I will gut you. What are you doing to stop this? What am I doing to stop this from happening? Again, what couldn't you ship? I don't know if that can happen. But if you take it, if, you, if like me, you believe that people aren't stupid, then you always have to assume that they have a reason. Even if you're really smart and your business unit is great at it, don't assume that everybody else is just stupid because they don't do what you do. They have their reasons. And because that is a difficult conversation, and because it requires stepping outside of our comfort zone, I think people don't do that, and so they don't innovate. And instead, they keep spitting out all this rhetoric that makes them lose credibility and makes their developers move to a company where they get to make cool stuff. And as far as the reason part, um, you know, if you're innovating because you're trying to chase the success you had five years ago, like you're 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 screwed, and you'll never even know it until it's too late. Um. It, the, the, the but the, the reason is that your company has developed a culture, and again, the hiring thing becomes huge. I, I I have to underscore this is something I've only learned in the last six or eight months, probably, is that you know we keep going. I don't understand why is everybody here such a sheep? You know, to to paraphrase um, that wonderful book um, by Andy Hunt, well, um, the name of which I always get wrong. Andy Hunt, pragmatic pro- uh, programmer guy, pragmatic thinking and learning. He has this great line in there. Uh, he says that, you know most companies, um. Try to herd racehorses and raise sheep. So if you keep hiring all of these like you know C plus programmers, you know who just want to vest and leave, you're not going to get the same kind of group as if you say, "Look, I'm going to pay you five times what the market does, but I expect you to do that level of work, and I'm not going to rope you in." We can't afford that. We got a big company, and well, then you're not going to innovate. Like but you're, you're not going you're to. You're in-
0: identifying a, a yeah. problem that's a, almost a cultural problem. It's I mean, not it's, almost a cultural problem; it's a primary cultural problem. So, so how? I mean, how do you address something like that? What if, what if you're already there is already this this problem that exists and it exists across the board at lots and lots and lots of companies? I mean, how do you how do you start to address that then? What's the answer? Well, let me
1: answer your question with the question, which is: if you do believe that you have to solve the right problem at the right level for the right reason, what would you do? Well. You should, I mean, I want you to answer that, but, but I mean, I, I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but seriously, you know, well, what should you do? Well, you know, if everybody in your family is obese and dies of heart disease, there's a very small likelihood that you're going to be a slender, long-lived person because that is the genetics of your family. And that sucks, but that's genetics, right? So all I can tell you in this instance is what, in my experience, does not work, and that is being a company that maybe had some successes in the past, you're rolling along, your stock's doing mm, not as great as it used to, you get a little scared. What does that mean, Dan? When you're scared, you start making dumb lizard brain decisions to try and survive right at the moment that you should have at least some small group swinging for the fences right? What I suggest to people, just because there's, it's hard for this to destroy the company and it doesn't hurt, is like, why don't you find out, instead of sitting around crying about how dumb everybody is and how you can change them, why don't you ask your employees? Ask your employees who, who's the Elvis here? Who's the ninja here? Like, what group does everybody go, holy crap, you don't mess with those guys because they, they ship. And then find out what they're doing. And don't try to replicate that in every group, but try to replicate the spirit that lets those people have the courageousness to just go do the right thing. Right? And um, and, and again the problem in level stuff like y- you don't want to boil the ocean. You don't want to just put on a memo and then go, well, in quarter 2 you need to innovate. Let us know how that goes. <laughs> you're going to have to make a lot of decisions and again, you're going to have to sacrifice a lot. You're going to have to let go of a lot. So, I mean, the, your your question is an excellent question, but it's a tr- like I said before, it's a trick question. You're not if you have a company that has made its bones on scalability business relationships selling windows that kind of stuff you're not going to get to suddenly turn a key and be this completely different company you have an installed base you got 27 flavors of windows you can't just like you know go buy a poster of a boat and suddenly be you know ev williams that's not going to happen so what do you do well you go instead of going like you know first of all you say can we maintain this company at this level and still innovate well maybe not okay let's go find the group that seems to be doing the most interesting stuff it could be an r&d group probably not you know but go and find the folks who are doing the most interesting work and rather than trying to, you don't want to clone them, but you want to find out what worked with those folks. You know, what, what, <laughs> what did they not see as barriers that everybody else sees? And then if you really want to get it done, there has to be, I hate this word because it's so stupid. I wish I had a better word. It's a, it's a kind of empowerment. It's a shame that empowerment even has to exist. Like I say, it's a shame anybody ever has to ask permission to be awesome. That's the saddest thing in the world to me. But people do. like it, They feel like they need that permission. And so you need to either hire or reprogram your managers to tell them what's okay. That means VPs. That means SVPs saying to VPs, look, seriously, you're not going to get fired for, for doing crazy stuff that might turn out great. And that means VPs saying, you know, and down the line. But at any point in that chain, somebody could be perceived as a roadblock that nobody would see from any other group, so they keep going. Boy, those guys are sure stupid. Why don't they innovate? Well, they might innovate because their partner's got pancreatic cancer and they don't want to lose their job.
0: You know, there's a yep. lot of people out there, Merlin, who are who are terrified to death that they're going to lose their job, and they just want to do for good
1: reasons. Good reasons. Yeah, yeah, but
0: but that that part of that culture, that's what forces those people who who might be the ones to innovate. It, they they look at the situation, they say. Uh, I don't want to take that risk. I don't want to do something. And I've seen so many managers like this where it's not that they're deciding, they're making decisions by committee per se, but they're there. They're saying, you know – they they always want everybody's buy-in they don't want to ever be accountable for one thing they they always want other people ideally people who work for them who are in their mind expendable so that mm-hmm. they can they can say well you know, the, the IT guy said we could do it and you well know, the, the, the developers said they'd have it on time and you know it, it's 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 not just passing the buck around it's it and maybe it is making a decision by well survival
1: it, isn't it survival on some level don't you think so how do you fix that um Okay, I'll I'll tell you what I would do. And by the um, way,
0: there's people in the chat room who are asking if if I will ask you, yeah. uh, if if you know of any companies that that took your advice and actually were able to to, to straighten things out and turn it around, or is it is do, do you, and this is this is my part to the question, or yeah. do you just simply become a motivational speaker to them in some way?
1: Oh, almost always, really? yeah, almost always. No, to answer the question, yes, absolutely, but it's usually teams. And it's, it's people, <laughs> you know, I mean, anybody who's got more than two kids, well, say you got one kid, right? You got a kid and, and you go, my kid's special and you get two kids and somebody goes, are your kids pretty much identical? And they go, Oh God, no. The one is really quiet and then the other one's just like, God, he started talking when he was, you go, okay, well, what if you got three kids? Oh my God, they're so different. Like as a parent, you look at three kids and you go, they are so different. And yet we are totally comfortable calling a company innovative or not innovative which is bat crap insane. Like, what, what does that even mean? Like, Well, what it means is that there were some people in there, individual kids, if you like, who did some great stuff. It's anytime you're overgeneralizing beyond one person, and really anytime you're saying anything about something that's not yourself, you're already on thin ice. So part of the problem is that when I go into a company and like I, I'm not trying to sell this, but what I believe is I'll say, look, you're going to have to do a skunk works here. You're gonna, this is going to be a total skunk works where instead of trying to go, I have to go change this BU or I have to da-da-da-da-da, you go and say to yourself, okay, here's the problem I want to solve <laughs> and the level and the reason. The problem that I want to solve is I want to find out why. I want to find out why all of us are moving toward a culture of risk aversion and feeling less like we can do cool stuff. I have my reasons. I have my thoughts. I have my hypotheses. But I'm going to see if there's some ways that we could work on some little cool projects, Little cool things we could do. I've joked about, you know, build a robot day and stuff like that. But from a realistic standpoint, go in and say, go find your peers and people you like that aren't on your team. People who are people that respect you and you respect them. You notice here, I'm not saying go address the entire business unit and tell them they're stupid. I'm saying go find somebody inside, get a spy and say like, what's going on with you guys? Not in a mean way, but in the sense of like, well, here's what, like for me, I don't want to do this kind of thing because Joan used to work here, but now she's in this other place, and she's gunning for this position, and I think that's going to piss her off. And you go to that, well, yeah, yeah, certainly got the Joan problem, but we also got this other problem here, which is that we ship this chipset that, like, if anything is wrong, there's no fault intolerance. tolerance. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Everybody's got their constraints. For the skunk works, you go out, you talk to all these different people, and you figure out why people aren't stupid to begin with. And then you talk about, you start sharing information, you find little things that you can do, And maybe you come up with some Skunk Works projects. Maybe something I've suggested, give developers a sandbox. Give every group of developers in particular an area. I call it building a robot, but it could be whatever you want. I can't tell you how many companies are dying to make an iPhone app. At least, I don't know if that's true still right this minute, but they want to go make something that ships that's really cool. They don't want to sit around making middleware for the enterprise, whatever that means. They want to go like, oh, you know, it would be really neat to make this thing I've seen other people make. So, I mean, I think one way to do it is to collaborate on a really small level. But again, the problem and level stuff. Keep your expectations modest and keep your mind and your heart open. Right? The sad ending to this for almost everybody is going to be it's not going to happen. Right? Because the downside of having that secure job is you're in a place with a lot more mortar than brick. You probably have your job, not because of innovation, you have your job because that innovation led to investment that let them hire people like you. So... First, you need to ask yourself, are you the CEO or are you the guy that dusts the blinds on some level? Because that guy probably shouldn't innovate. So you have to be honest with yourself. And if it really, really, really means a lot to you, well, gosh, why don't you just go ship something? Well, I can't. because Well, you know, the way you become the CEO is not by showing up on time. You become the CEO by being so great that the person one to three levels above you can't keep you from being promoted over them. Wow, that's really ambitious. Yes, it is. It's extremely ambitious. And it's it what separates the people who are truly outstanding from the people who go, I have all these barriers. Because you do have those barriers. But you know what? Everybody's got those barriers. It doesn't make them, I'm not saying they're easy. I, I, I'm not going to say they're going to go away. But you're certainly never going to get buy-in from anyone who stands to have anything but total success from what you've done. Have you ever had that, Dan? Have you ever worked in a place where they're like, oh, just go nuts, see in a year? Not me. So again, problem and level. I think we're should. we running probably a little long right now on this piece, but we should come back to this because the problem and level stuff to me, almost every, yes, I think, because I'm a hippie, I think everything does start with caring. But the, the basic troubleshooting, once you figure out, yeah, I do care a lot. Well, what is it you care a lot about? And then, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to like focus on the care and feeding of that one thing? And if that's inside your company, then you need to go. Well, you know, the first thing I'm willing to sacrifice is my ego. The first willing thing I'm willing to sacrifice, first or second thing I'm willing to sacrifice, is always being right. You know, (laughs) you're going to learn so much when you realize how dumb you are. It's the best thing in the world, I promise you. And so, but at the heart of it, if if you do that for five years, your your whole heart is in it. You're trying so hard. You're trying all this, and nothing happens. Well then the level you need to solve it as, you need to move on. And if, if that's not a trade-off you can handle, then, well, what? I mean, you know, reality doesn't have a reset button. That's, that's it, it is what it is. But I I will say that, on a hopefully hopeful note, anything that you want to do on a little kind of small, local level, start with yourself, then start with the people on your team who you trust the most and who you have the most credibility with, Move out a little bit to the bigger team if you can. If you sure from there, this is where it gets a lot more complicated. Move out in these concentric circles, right? That's the problem and level thing. But even if you get all the way to like having a budget and stuff for a special project to change the company, <laughs> good luck. That's probably going to go great. But even if you have all of that, like how are you? Everybody's a different kid. Every one of those people thinks they're special. Like you're an extra in their movie. You know, it's like in San Francisco. Everybody everybody in San Francisco acts like they're the star of their own self-produced HBO show. (laughs) That's kind of basically how you act when you're in San Francisco. And just remember in every company, every single person, everyone is a different special kid, and they think you're the weirdo. And so to persuade people, you have to understand where they are, you gotta hear them out, you have to understand their concerns, you have to understand like what their constraints are that you may or may not see. Maybe their kid's sick today, you know, maybe they just found out their partner has cancer. God, god forbid but that to me that be, to me becomes the thing the practical people the people who succeed have a combination of courageousness whether it's earned or not and really super clear eyed like straight up fat man buddha realism about what's here this is what is here, and this is what I have the power to change. It's, it's a little serenity prayer. But I really, no matter what you do, whether it's you go from you, you go to your pals, you go to your team, you go to your whatever, your, your, uh, your BU, you go to your whatever, you still have control over precisely one thing, which is you. That's it. End of story. Everything else is potentially out of scope. And as long as you remember that, you will screw up less but you will also have more of an opportunity to do cool stuff because you're not depending on the BU you need
0: to agree with you.
1: So as always, there's never really an answer and I'm probably disappointing people.
0: Well, I think that was an answer. Yeah, it's a kind of answer. It's, God, that went
1: long. It went long. Get on that, Dan. Was, sorry that was
0: that. a long topic. No, and I talked a lot. The
1: Logic's going to show. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This show would be so good if I weren't on it. You should do the show with like you and another
0: you. <laughs> no, trust me. We need you on this one. Let <laughs> me ask you a question about this. You, last week you talked about, we didn't get to address this, but we, you talked about Pathfinder a little bit. Yeah. That's, that's like a Finder replacement on, on Mac OS X.
1: Yeah. Find a replacement or yeah. Do you I mean, use I it say- as
0: a find a replacement or do you use it as an app, like a standalone app? Because this is really like the, this, this just shows when you mentioned that app, this, that jumped out at me. We didn't have time cause you wanted to talk about um, some of the cool uh, like text make <laughs> shortcuts and stuff like right. that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean almost, you know, you think of, and this is, this is a complete change from what we were talking about earlier in, uh, you know, 10 seconds ago even, but but this is something that, that a lot of people I think want to hear about. I, I'm one of them. I'm in the audience of people who want to hear about this from you because yeah. you're very good at finding really good tools. And I, I don't know if it makes sense to have a, 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 a pick, an app, whatever it is. Yeah. But, but I just I don't know if you already have one. But I want to I ask you about this Pathfinder because the, the, actual, the actual Finder itself, the tool, and of course we're talking about Mac stuff because they're, they're the best. But you know, what's what's so bad about the Finder? I, I ran, I look, I looked at this Pathfinder thing, and I said, you know, this is this is pretty cool, this Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. And I experimented with well, used a little. I it running right now. But I, you know, I, I wanted to like what how what are you doing with it that you couldn't do with the Finder, for example? And maybe this is the wrong time to talk about this particular. No, 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 tool. totally, totally, totally. I'm happy to. Well, first of all, um. Uh, Leo Laporte and I did a
1: MacBreak video on this a few years ago that I, I think is a pretty good introduction. Steve took me to task for good reason for making it look more unnecessarily complicated than it is. But there's a lot of stuff in Pathfinder to do things with. I'll, I'll give you a couple of my favorites though. Um, and and to answer your question, I I don't know. I, I don't think there's that many things that only Pathfinder does, especially for a nerd like you. There's all kinds of stuff you can do that you just go pop 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 boom in the shell you type five characters and you've done a thing but um i don't think i'm the only person in the universe that's disappointed that the finder has not evolved in in many ways right um the the i mean think think for example about a few years ago uh when pdas but in particular the desktop metaphor the online metaphor was sort of this physical world thing i know there's a term for this you you know uh hgi uh or you know what are they calling? The You're talking about the thing where,
0: where you create a, an, an interface that's based on the real world. Yeah, interface as right. Opposed to, yeah, I, I know the thing. I forgot HCI the term. people.
1: Yeah, but so you go, oh, here's your desk, and you click here for your Rolodex, and di And I think the downside, of the trade-off of that, and I'm probably misquoting a lot of concepts here, but like that's really great for you to understand what this thing can do. But within a day or two of learning that, it's just pure friction because that abstraction has a cost. I think that in general, Apple and the Macintosh computer over the years has been pretty good at finding that trade-off. I mean, <laughs> you just cut me off.
0: I didn't, I just rang the bell.
1: Oh, that means stop talking. Right?
0: No, you can keep talking at just a five-minute warning.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> started to salivate. Um. <laughs> Yeah, he, they didn't just salivate the dogs. He had like a tube. He cut a hole in their face. Yeah, and, it's not so a he could pretty picture. The saliva. No, yeah. the Russians are tough scientists. Um, I think he's Russian, right? Pavlov? Pavlov? That's a Russian name, well, right? Well,
0: it, it was, you know, there was a whole union back then.
1: Yeah. I think the Mac has been pretty good with that. When I sat down for the first time at a Mac as a guy who hated computers, um, I just sat there, and it was was like a dream world to me. Because, you know, things like the control panel. Do you remember the old control panel with the turtle and the rabbit and stuff? Like, you got how that worked. It was was beautifully done. Well, and then, of course, over the years, you get more comfortable with it. And the Finder's okay good about that. Like, one example a lot of people don't even know about. Go to the Finder, hit Command 3. What? Like, a lot of people don't even know that you can browse in those columns. And for certain kinds of browsing, that's really, really fantastic. Most people never go out of Command 1,
0: which is Icon View. I mean, I know you guys do because you're
1: nerds. Right.
0: But I mean, the, ner- I live- the nerds, the nerds are almost always in column view. In fact, they set the default to always open in column view. For
1: me, it's for me, it's uh, command two, sorted by date. That's I do everything in a list by date, by and large. Now, now of course, over the years, uh, the Finder's gotten great at this stuff. Like, okay, this directory of images or PDFs with the beautiful five twelve, you know, icons. I want giant, but images of this because this is essentially like a album for me right um, so anyway to get to the Pathfinder part but unfortunately there are parts about the Pathfinder that it's like kind of the worst of the chicken and the waffles like it's it's cl- it's clunky in some ways it's it feels kind of it feels floppy it doesn't feel super responsive it doesn't feel you know like you have your hands on it unless you're on a, I don't know that's my feeling anyway there's a lot of functionality that that's I didn't even realize it was missing until I went to Pathfinder. Number one being, I'm terrible at knowing what things are called. Um, one of my favorites is something that Pathfinder has called Drop Stack. And you know how you have that little left rail down the side with the names of your favorite folders yeah. and devices and whatnot? Yeah. Right above there, if you have it turned on, there's a cool little, like a target. And you can grab one or more things from any directory and drag them onto there, and it goes into a notional stack. So if I drop three things onto that little target, I see a, the icon for multiple documents, and it says three items. And if I mouse over, it shows me all those items. I can go to another directory or the same directory or wherever, drag more stuff into there. And now I get an icon that says, okay, you just put two items in here, but there's also other stuff in here, right? So it's Friday. You got to get home. You got to zip something up and send it away. You can fly. Th- I know you can do it with the terminal. Shut up. But you go here. You fly through here. You can grab 60 different things from different places, throw them into the stack, go create a directory on the desktop, Folder, drag the icon for take all of this and move it into here. And that is such a time saver from, cool. from open. So you're all in one window that whole time. that's I just love that. I use that all the time. Um, stupid stuff. It's really easy to create a button for touch. Uh, touch is a Unix command that, depending on the flags, uh, basically just updates that. Like, don't change anything about it, but make it look updated. That sounds. I actually use that a lot for things with Dropbox. Make sure this is the the canonical version of they this. Know you
0: can use touch to create a file too. I don't know. If, can you? Yes. Can
1: you do that in Pathfinder?
0: Uh, I don't. I, I know. I know. I, know I don't know if you like, can do it in Pathfinder. Nah, you can do it on I don't the think shell? So
1: it's great out. But um, other great stuff. What? Let me just give you a few. Okay, this is the one that's a little bit. It's a little bit. Uh, are we out of time, Dan? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's really good. You get lots of ways. You can have previews. It's got a built in text editor. It's got lots of cool things. It's got uh, the ability to copy a path in any of several different formats and we're probably just about out of time. So did I force that to you as a pick? Yeah, yeah, like you I did. I sort of forced you did. that you did. as your pick. You did. you did, but it's your show. It, please. Sickens me. <laughs> um, uh, we got lots more to talk about. We're going to be doing this for what? You'll probably get me to do this for at least a week or two. I love how many of the tweets are about, So I wonder how long he'll be able to get my own to
0: do this. Yeah. I give it three episodes was my favorite one. Yeah.
1: You know, Dan, you're dead to me. Just for <laughs> the record. Now I'd love to do more, you know, maybe we'll talk more nerd stuff next time. We, we, what we, let's tell the kids what we talked about was like a 40, 20 break. Yeah. I think so. So We're thinking like 40 minutes of whatever, you know, yeah, complimenting we'll just, each other yeah. and like a 20 minute practical and tech thing. I don't know if we'll do that, but I thought that was a good split.
0: I, I, inevitably people will start to complain that we only talk about Mac stuff. Yeah. Well, inevitably people will
1: complain about everything. And that's why you have to be circumspect about how much you change what you do based on what people <laughs> inevitably say. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'd still be, I'd still be writing about index cards every day if if some people had the druthers. <laughs> but I love, you know, I love, and and like seriously, like you know, whatever. I'm that guy, but like it has been so super nice what people said about the show. Yeah, it's really, I mean, like no, seriously, this is why you do stuff. You do stuff like with me, like uh, like I said last time, so I can work with people like Dan, or if this were work. But it's really, really nice when people say that. I never want anybody to think that that, that is not received with just pure balls-out gratitude. It's, it, it makes my day, seriously. Go, go talk to somebody who's met me. I'm not really that bad. But uh, you're happy, Nan. You like this? You think it's a good
0: thing? I think this is great. I really want the, uh, some theme music.
1: Well, I gave you that song my band did for our little sponsor piece, and I've got some other ones. that you, I'm going to let you pick which one. So,
0: so right now, although we, yeah. don't, we don't hear it right now, you're saying that is if this is the outro to the show and it's winding down, there might be music playing right now even.
1: Oh yeah, you might be hearing a song called Plika Plika by my band Bacon Ray, uh, written by uh, Jason Emmett. And Us, it's so instrumental. And I'm going to give you more of those songs and, and pick the ones you think are least offensive. Great. Um, but yeah, no, I like that song. I, I feel like we should use our own stuff on here. We shouldn't go... Yeah, use- no, yeah,
0: but please. Nope. And there's so much less uh, money will, to spend you, you on will, licensing.
1: I don't think you'll like them. You sit around and listen to like uh, meditation bells and stuff,
0: right? I, I hardly listen to any music, which is a great topic for another show. What do you listen to while you work? Should, what should your environment be like? Can we talk That's about that? That's a
1: terrific point, Dan, but we need to button this up. We do. Yeah. You're right. Colton said. Colton said, "Keep it in an hour, or else." That's what he said.
0: You you didn't you dropped the name this time. Yeah, people were asking in the chat room who it was. Yeah, I never actually met him.
1: Yeah, it's like <laughs> anyway, super nice guy, and uh, he's where he's gonna tell you such a good story when he's on here. We have so many good guests lined up already, but I'm not gonna tell you.
0: Yeah, some good ones though.
1: When you say like seriously, really good kind of guy. Okay, good. Really good. But seriously, uh, nerds, thank you. You guys are you guys are lions, and it's super cool, you guys. And oh, should we ask them to go do that douche thing where they go leave a review?
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, it does if, matter. I hate it, it, it but it matters. it really, really does matter. So if you like this show, please uh, rate it on iTunes. Uh, you don't have to leave a comment, but that helps a lot too. But please consider rating it on iTunes. Uh, we we uh, we really really appreciate that. That's we know it takes time for you to do it, but it really really does help the show, and it helps. It really helps the whole. Network, which is how I make my living. So, uh, yeah, five by yeah. five rate rate the shows. Thank you.
1: I posted something on Kung Fu Grip the other day. I saw a one star fail review uh, oh. of an app. Uh, no, check this out.
0: None of us. Oh. Well, there was one star fail review. Because I was going to say if, if we get a one star review, I'm going to shut the whole thing. No, out.
1: we did. No, no, no. We got a one star fail review. Oh, just, then this is our last episode. Because we're of done. me. Okay, we're done. It was of, a, of an app, and <laughs> <It> basically said, <laughs> "So fix this for jailbreak 4.2." <laughs> I was like, really? That's your one-star fail review? Is like you jailbroke your phone and it doesn't work? It's like saying like, I'm really mad that I can't get free sugar for my BMW. Idiot. But not you. No. All right, that's it. Button it up, Dan. All right. Have a good one, Merlin.
0: See you next week. And I love you. <laughs>